0: There's no strategy that someone else can employ that would defeat the strategy that you're trying to go for. The Diplomacy Dojo is a weekly discussion led by your board brother about diplomacy tactics and strategies. Let's listen in on what our players are discussing this week. Okay, so my idea for this recording of the Diplomacy Dojo was to talk about the Gunboat League that we started together a couple of months ago. An introduction to this topic, on the BrotherBoard Discord server we got a lot of Diplomacy players, including a lot of Gunboat Diplomacy players, and some of us had played together for a long time, for a couple of years, in a a league that I had formed for playing Gunboat Diplomacy. And as the website of Brotherboard got more popular and there's more different people wanted to get involved and talk with us and hang out, I drew that league that was just my friends to a close and was coming up with the idea that we should play together the players who are talk to each other on the Discord server. And around the same time we had been, Ben and I had been having this conversation about ways to balance gunboat diplomacy without necessarily altering the rules. So let's talk about the math behind this idea, because I think that's where you were coming from and realized its potential application to diplomacy later.
1: I guess before you get to the math, the statement is, though, that people believe gunboat diplomacy is inherently unbalanced, it depends on what the metagame is and what and you know, there's always debates about what metagame means and what league you're in and people's abilities and whether you expect draws to happen and people to find stalemate lines, even esoteric ones, or people to throw, right? There's all these different situations that could affect what the balance might be. But at the core of it, you will almost never find any gumbo players saying this game is well balanced. Whereas In press diplomacy, that's not the case. Almost all press players have a favorite country to play or least favorite country to play. But very few people will state outright that no country has a chance or Germany is just playing the best and should win. It's sort of amazing in that every country has its own characteristics, and it's clearly Not symmetric, right? There's big differences, but the ability to negotiate gets over any lack of symmetry and balances the game. I was thinking about this because when you look at games like StarCraft, right, this is another game where it's very unequal, not unfair, but unequal. People work very hard. To think about how to make it fair that a good Zerg player and a good Protoss player will be able to play. And it's really shocking to me how balanced press diplomacy is. The press itself provides this balancing mechanism to the game.
0: Even if diplomacy were designed significantly differently from what we see now, the players would just negotiate their way around that, I think.
1: But you could easily imagine there's just like a barrier that you're not getting over, right? Like a player could decide which side of this sort of tipping point to go over, but after they pick, I'm allying France, I'm allying Germany, they're never going back to the other side, that things just wouldn't mechanically work out. And the fact that players can sort of continually shift or apply pressures and there's enough exit ramps from an alliance and there's enough balance points, it's really impressively done.
0: I agree with that. There's not too many old games that I consider to be balanced that aren't just symmetrical or nearly so. I think the reason diplomacy stands the test of time is that the game is balanced out of the box with the rules that are there. It's a fair game. Everyone stands at least a reasonable chance of winning despite the countries being designed so differently.
1: Yes. I think it has to be the press that handles it, because, and this comes back to it, right? You ask gunboat players if the game is balanced, and in some leagues, people say, never give me Austria, Italy always stabs you, you die. And I know you say, never give me Russia. Yes, I can win, see my one victory ever on my blog, (laughs) but please don't give me Russia, I hate it. It's, It's barely playable. And it's just not a balanced game, even if all seven players talk ahead of time, coordinate their understanding, right? Even if we all sat down and said, okay, look, if Italy does this and this and this, then blah. Then France is going to do this or Austria is going to, you know, like even if we all sit down and agree on what good play is and try to pre-negotiate the game so that we all have like coordinate our understanding of stalemate lines, coordinate our understanding of balance, and try to align our our metas, right? Which, in this league, in this Brotherboard League, we sort of are doing this, right? Like, we are doing some post-game analysis, some pre-game analysis. A lot of it is bloviating. But there's some real talk there where people are like, that was just bad endgame. You should have done this and this. Or... This game was thrown, or this was bad, or this was good.
0: This is my personal opinion, but I've considered this pretty thoroughly, that what imbalances gunboat diplomacy is that in press diplomacy, you must try to outguess how the player you're attacking is going to move. But if you're coordinating with another player, you can at least agree to make supported moves that make sense and work together. But when you're trying to work together in gunboat diplomacy, not only must you outguess the player you're attacking, but you also have to guess what your ally is going to do. And you get into these really terrible situations where alliance play is just two players supporting each other's moves or they don't even bother to do so because they think there's no value there. It's so unlikely to work. And so the game gets warped, really warped in favor of a style of play of not really trying to cooperate with other players. In my opinion, this warps the game uh, in favor of powers like Turkey and France that have really strong defense because it's hard for players even who want to bring them down to accomplish it tactically. And it disincentivizes them from trying for such a plan because it's less likely to work than a normal diplomacy.
1: In addition, it Unbalances the game in favor of those that have a hump to get over, and then the game's downhill from there. Whatever scoring system you do choose, it's part of why I don't like board top or number of centers in a gunboat because it's biased towards the early leader. In press, an early leader gets a headwind, they have to work hard, they have to fight the alliance. But in Gunboat, like you just said, the alliance, even if it forms, has extra difficulties. And even if you have exceptionally high play, there are extra difficulties for an alliance stopping one big player.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. Like Two players that have between them, let's say, four or five pieces each against a player that has six or seven. In Gunboat, the player who has six or seven pieces has an enormous advantage because they can move all of those pieces with one mind. And the players who are trying to stop them and coordinate don't have any such capability. I mean, they can kind of guess or intuit. I'm not saying it never happens. But in press diplomacy, it would be be trivial. They just send a message and agree to make some moves.
1: That's right. And whether you trust somebody or not or this or that, right, there's all these extra layers. But at least there's an ability for those nine units to work together <laughs> as opposed to in Gumboat, you have to work that much harder to intuit. What your ally is going to do, into it, the trust, into it, the enemy. It's possible. We've worked through it, you and I, and sometimes you've gotten it right even, but it's hard. Bringing this all the way back, the game is not balanced. It just isn't. And whatever league's data you might want to look at to figure out how it's unbalanced, it shows up. If it were unbalanced in a way everybody could agree on, then we could have some sort of fair agreed upon way of assigning countries and uh, and scoring the game like a handicap for, those countries.
0: for instance
1: a handicap that's right if you say okay russia has a history of getting into a draw you know surviving to a draw in 20% of games and soloing in and 5% of games and so as opposed to France or England, right, you could do some data for whatever scoring system you want, and then weight the prices that way. And if everyone said, yeah, that data is what I think is right, it's what I would try to, you know, we all agree this is fair, then great. You just all agree it's fair. You assign the buy-in prices, or however, you're, you assign the handicap somehow, and pull your countries out of a hat. One of the extra difficulties of being fair with Gunboat is people don't even agree (laughs) on what the balance is. Even if you can get players Um, to agree that uh, one country
0: is, by degrees, better than another country, they'll never agree on what that degree is.
1: Yeah. And people don't even agree, necessarily, if you show them two countries and said, of these two, which... Do you prefer in gunboat? They don't even agree on that. Part of that is the metagame that they're used to playing in. The board brother League has a very different metagame than the Nexus Speedboat league, and that has a different metagame than a high buy-in web dip game with, you know, anonymous players. All of these things have slightly different balances. So people have their own biases from which league they're in. But even, within one league, people don't agree on whether they prefer Italy or Turkey. Some prefer Italy. Some, I know you prefer Turkey. Some people hate France. And I know you would take that as your if, – if you had to play for your life, you would be taking France. It's true. Right? And I can tell you, some players have opted for Germany over France as their preferred country. And – that's fine. They're allowed their opinions, right? You know, it, but it makes it difficult then, because we now can't even agree on what a balanced pricing is for these countries.? Right? If we just say, "Okay, here's the balance." well, somebody's going to say, "No, that's not balanced. You know, France has a massive advantage." And somebody else says, "Are you kidding? no, it's It's Russia that has this advantage here. The insight would then be to say, well, okay, maybe we can't find a balance of handicaps so that everybody agrees it's equally fair, but maybe we can find a balance of handicaps so that everybody thinks they're winning, (laughs) that they're getting the steal, so maybe you think yeah France sure I'll take it what are you kidding of course and somebody else says are, you're going to let me play turkey I'll take turkey and you know somebody else says with these handicaps give me Russia are you guys nuts I'll take it all day right and and if we can find a balance of a weight a handicap weight a buy-in weight maybe and all seven players disagree about which country <laughs> Is being given the strongest advantage, then okay, that's some definition of fair, <laughs> because everybody should feel like they're getting a bargain and nobody should complain. The, Does that make sense? Oh yeah,
0: it makes complete sense to me. And I'm I, I, obviously uh, <laughs> since that <since, laughs> we've been playing this way for a little while, based on the conversations that we've had with players about the pricing system that we've been trying out and players who are interested, some players think that the direction that this conversation is about to go in is in favor of a bidding system or like an auction system where you're going to take some money, invisible money or whatever, poker chips, and use them to bid on the prices. That's where their mind goes. And uh, although a system like that is potentially doable, I'm not saying it's impossible, we think we have something better than that.
1: Yeah, so before we even say, let's do this, just the same way it wasn't, imp- we can perceive that it's not likely, or maybe even impossible, that seven people will agree on a balance of handicaps or buy-in prices that every country is equally desirable, and they're all just like, yeah, I don't care, give me any of the seven. It's not obviously possible to assign prices so that everyone thinks they're winning, that everyone does disagrees about which country is best. This is not an obvious doable thing. One of the key mathematical insights is actually a theorem that ties into Nash Equilibria. So maybe many of your readers have heard of John Nash and his Nobel Prize winning. I'd have to Wikipedia it to be sure, but I'm pretty sure he won the Nobel Prize for this. He won this thing for something called Nash Equilibria, which lots of people... In the theory of games, misquote and misapply and misuse, but it's somewhat insightful. And roughly what it says is there's a way to have a strategy in a game so that if all the players know everybody else's strategic choices, say for rock, paper, scissors, or for poker or something, something, if there's a game and everybody just says out loud, here's the strategy I'm going to do, it's possible to have a strategy where if all the players know everybody else's strategy, none of the players will feel a need to change their own. I think that the
0: the hang up for a lot of people is the word optimal, because that's a term of art in game theory. And in everyday speech, we use optimal to mean really good or the best. And that's not even close to what optimal means in this situation. This phenomenon of a strategy that you would never want to change, even if you knew what the other players would want to change, is that it's not exploitable, that there's no strategy that someone else can employ that would defeat the strategy that you're trying to go for. So in the case of rock, paper, scissors, if you said, I'm going to randomly choose between rock, paper, or scissors in equal distribution, I'm always going to choose one third, one third, one third, and it's going to be totally random. I'll use a randomizer to do it. There's nothing anyone can do in response to that strategy to somehow reduce my chances of getting the outcome that uh, I'm looking for, which is probably uh, one-third wins, one-third losses, and one-third tries
1: with that strategy. And even think of it further, it's a balance point. In the space of all strategies, it's this sort of well-balanced location where everybody is equally miserable. (laughs) <laughs> and I phrase it like this because the, the math that was used to prove it is something called a fixed-point theorem. It basically says if you mix things up in a way, you're not allowed to just like completely randomly mix things up so that they forget where they came from, but for example, if you mix things up in some nice way, like stirring them or something, there will be one point at least that ends where it started. Or you could do this right now. If you take a piece of paper flat on the table, crumple it up, and put it back on the table, there will be one point of that paper at least that is above where it was before you crumpled it up. It can't be that every piece of the paper is somewhere new. These fixed-point theorems are surprisingly useful to understand these sort of math bidding things. So bringing this back it turns out that if you have people who have different preferences ranking system and valuations and you have say you have 7 people and 7 things they're bidding on countries they're bidding on it is always possible to assign a price to those countries so that everybody thinks that at the assigned prices, they all disagree on which country is the best buy. And the next thought most mathematicians would have is, great, it exists, congratulations, good luck finding it. Anybody you know, who's programmed or done any search algorithms, these things can take forever to find. they will throw in a
0: joke there that apparently global warming is being worsened by people mining for bitcoins. Yeah, we know they're there, but you have to run your computer on maximum power all week just to find the coin.
1: Exactly. And so there's one class of problem we just know is easy to do, like multiplying. It's easy to do. You can multiply numbers, it doesn't take long. Adding, it's easy to do. Then there's a second class of problems where it's easy to check an answer. So if I gave you a number and said, factor it, not clear that's easy to do it's not clear it's hard to do but it's very easy to check if you say hey i factored 91 into 7 and 13 i could go cool let me check that oh yeah that works i can multiply quickly this class of problems that's easy to check a solution but we believe is hard to solve for is sort of this backbone of a lot of our public crypto systems blockchain rsa a lot of our internet security. And that's exactly the right intuition, just because it would be very easy to check, hey, here's a set of prices. Everybody disagree on which country's the best buy? Great, let's play, right? That takes nothing to check, (laughs) but good luck finding it. The second insight, and for this, I am not going to try to explain how this algorithm works. It's subtle, it's tricky, and it's still longer than we would like. This has been the one downfall with the program is even with this faster search, it's still somewhat tedious. But there is, uh, I will give a plug for this app. The New York Times has a web app called Divide Your Rent Fairly. And you don't need to subscribe to the paper to get it. And what they did is they took this theorem and they got some mathematicians who had figured out a faster way to find this balance point. And they wrote a script whereby if you're sharing an apartment or a house with some roommates, you can all write the total rent in the top, the rooms on the side, the roommates on the other side, and it will find a balance point where maybe I prefer the sunnier room. Maybe you prefer the room with the ensuite bathroom. Maybe I prefer that room also, but I'm not willing to pay as much for it and I'd rather live cheaply. And this web app helps roommates quickly divide rent in a fair way with fair room assignments.
0: I want to add that what I think is really interesting about using this algorithm or this app that applies the algorithm is that the algorithm doesn't need to understand any underlying reasons why the roommates consider one room to be preferable to another at the price it's not taking That's that into right. It, they don't even
1: need to be anything that humans would even regard as self-consistent. The preferences don't need to have anything that I might consider rational, or you might consider rational. There will be a balance point. And I guess that brings us back to why this algorithm. So now that we've described that there is a solution somewhere, and good luck finding it, why not use an auction? Why not use a bidding process? Why not use guns at dawn? Why not do some other thing to help find some balance point where everybody agrees it's fair? I'd say that there are a few properties I really wanted when looking for a way to make Gunboat more fair. One thing I wanted was to not have a game on top of a game. I didn't want poker, a bidding process on top of this gunboat game where some people are just better at auctions than other people. It is a skill to have an auction and read the room and know that maybe I can bid them up and they're going to bite. I'm going to bid higher myself than what I want in order to induce them to bid higher, and I'm going to win long-term because of that because they're going to bid too high. right? And This is a skill. It's an interesting skill, but we didn't want to wrap this game of gumbo in another game. We just wanted to find a fair balance point where people all felt like they were getting the country that was best for them. A second thing we didn't want was we didn't want any collusion to be possible. In poker, if two or three players at the table start colluding with each other or you can imagine if you're splitting up an apartment and negotiating on who gets what room at what price, if some of the roommates make a secret pact to work together and negotiate for their little group, the other roommates, the other players at the poker table are going to be severely disadvantaged and and not know what happens.
0: I'd like to point out that this is a core skill of diplomacy players, is doing such a thing. There's a very realistic
1: danger of diplomacy players
0: employing such a plan.
1: That's exactly right. And that's wonderful. I love press diplomacy. I I get too into it, but I love it. But the point again was to keep the gunboat game pure and simply find a way that people wanted a fair assignment of the countries. So the nice thing about this algorithm is that simply by searching for the balance point, not by having an auction, not by having a bid, not by having another game, but simply by asking people at these prices, what is your personal preference at these prices? And searching for a balance point that way, you can avoid any extra game on top of it. The players don't care if there's a cabal. Because at the end, you will say, yes, I am getting the country that I believe is the best-priced country. And if you don't agree to that, then the algorithm isn't over.
0: The way that I've articulated oh, yes. that to players who were teaching is that it gives each player a veto. So the other players cannot collude together to create an unfair pricing system for the countries, because if even one player considers it to be unfair, they can veto it and say, no, I want that country the same as you do, the one that you priced well. And then we have to start again.
1: That's a great way of putting it. So all seven players have to think they're winning. And if even one player disagrees, the algorithm isn't over. In addition, this algorithm doesn't require any internal consistency. And it doesn't choose countries in any order. So, a lot of the bidding systems that people described involved like you bid up the countries in price, and all of a sudden one's getting expensive. And maybe then you shift to a different country that you want, sort of in a Yankee swap style. If you get out bid for the expensive country, you now can move to a cheaper one. But preferences are weird, right? Like, especially when it's more than just an A B choice, right? When you have seven options your ordering is going to always be weird. It's not just the straight ratio of prices or higher or lower or whatever. It turns out, even if your choices aren't consistent in a way that anybody would recognize as consistent, there's still a solution and this algorithm will still find it. That's something um, that um, and-
0: that's come up in trying to teach players how to use it is they think that their prior answers that might have been inconsistent or they later recognize as mm, maybe I made the wrong choice there. That doesn't really matter because the way the algorithm works isn't using that information to generate the new situations. If you eliminated this one scenario because two players both agreed that they both wanted the same power at that price, okay, Well, we that's not the answer. That answer has been eliminated, but the algorithm's not distorted after that point. It's not saying, "Mm, hmm, so-and-so really likes Russia, so we're going to give them... Correct. In fact,
1: it's not a machine learning thing where it's trying to anticipate your preferences. It's running through this maze, taking turns asking the players which way to go, and if it gets a certain sequence of answers from the players, it says, aha, here we are. So it doesn't care what you answered a while ago. It only cares what you've answered right now because it's looking for a very special location in this maze.
0: To build on your maze metaphor, when I was discussing the system with one of the players who plays with us, I said something like, the moment where the pl- the, the algorithm ends is when all the players walk out of a different door.
1: Yes. And in fact, they use this door algorithm. So I'll give a plug for a wonderful YouTube channel, Mathalogger. Mythologer. I'm not sure how he accents it, but he has a post on the New York Times rent algorithm and exactly how it walks through this interesting maze with doors to find a location and that this location has to exist. And it's clever. It almost has to be done in a YouTube channel because it requires lots of pretty pictures that you need shown to see what's happening. The upshot at the end of the day is it starts to converge and find a balance point where everyone's like oh either i don't care right like any of these three countries are fine right italy russia france at these prices i i don't know they're close maybe maybe italy i don't know whatever give me russia it's fine or somebody who's saying oh yeah germany give me germany And the player who wants Germany gets Germany. And the player who has three favorites that they don't really care between gets one of those three favorites, right? Because if they don't care between three, then fine, they'll get one of those three. But it helps find this balance point where nobody feels slighted. So at this point, I think
0: it's worth explaining how pricing can be incorporated into diplomacy. Because if you're a player who just only plays, let's say, pick up games on Backstabber, then the pricing concept may not really hold any water. You don't really understand how this might work. I learned to play Diplomacy on Web Diplomacy where there's a fictional little point system. They don't represent anything. They're not, they're not money or nothing. You get more points if you use up the points that you have, but you use the points to bid on on games, and the winner takes the points according to the scoring system. So, for instance, if we have a match where uh, each player bids all 100 of their starting points, then there's a 700-point pot. And if someone wins, they get all 700 points. And if there's a draw, the pot's going to be split according to the rules. For example, if it's draw-size scoring, also sometimes called cowhammer hammer points, then each player's going to get an equal share of the draw. So if there's a three-way draw, you're going to split the pot three ways. This is how one can come to think of points, or like a price, as mattering. To say that we cannot just say that each player puts up a hundred points, but that the amount of points that they have to put up may change, based on the quote unquote the price of the power that was assigned to them, and that's a way of backdooring in this balance.
1: That's right, and the careful listener will notice it doesn't matter if you have argued a lot that you prefer draw size scoring, but because what we're doing here isn't changing the game, a league could agree on whatever scoring system they want if. They prefer tribute, if they prefer sum of squares.
0: I think it has to be zero-sum scoring for this to work. Why do you say that? My intuition is that a zero-sum scoring system makes the most sense, or I'm sorry, makes this workable because something like carnage scoring is trying to assign qualitatively different amounts of points based on the outcome where no amount of draws can combine together to equal the points that you get from a win. So the scale of what the prices mean would change in that kind of scoring system where the prices are almost irrelevant in the face of solo wins.
1: So I don't know Carnage scoring by name, but I'm guessing it's something like a solo is 100 points. If you get a two-way draw, you each get 40 points. So like some points disappear.
0: Oh, it's way more outrageous than that. It's something like 10,000 points for a solo win and draws only our three-digit amounts.
1: Okay, and people who enter pony up like 100 points each, so all of a sudden points come out of... If there's a solo, points are magically appear, and if there's draws, points are disappearing and stuff like that. It, yeah. it tends to not zero-sum.
0: Yes, and, and it's a great system for a tournament where the tournament begins and ends <laughs> in a closed system.
1: But again, there's nothing about this algorithm. It has to be zero sum, right? If we just agree the total buy-in price, the total buy-in pot is going to be, in your league, we've agreed it's 120 points because we're playing draw size and that divides easily. But if we just agree the total buy-in pot is 100 and we're just figuring out the relative balance between the countries, then somewhere there's a fair divide where everybody agrees what it is Even if I get 10,000 points for a solo, I might just prefer countries that are more likely to solo, but there's no reason that this has to be zero sum.
0: I suppose you're right. I guess there's not an inherent reason the scoring system has to be zero sum. But I will say this. I predict that to apply this system to a scoring system which qualitatively favors solo wins over draws, it would probably warp the prices a lot
1: It's true. Part of it depends on repeatability. For example, in our league, I have been taking a lot of cheap countries, and I've been losing. (laughs) (laughs) I have not done very well. But I've been losing cheap. And someday, I'm not going to lose. And I'll be in a fairly decent position. But some players have been taking expensive countries and winning, and good for them. And some players have taken cheap countries and survived to a draw or won, and good for them. But if you're only going to play one game, this might not work so well, because in one game, a player sort of just cares about winning. Players might not be so happy taking their least favorite country for nothing when they think they have no hope of winning. But again, if we're playing draw-size scoring... And we're only playing one game, I will not want Russia or Austria because they just don't survive as often. If I just care about getting in the money in this one shot, I don't care that I got knocked out and only lost a buy in of three. You know, I would have happily paid 25 for France or Turkey for an actual chance to win. If I'm only playing one game, if I'm playing a 30 game league, right, then all of a sudden paying a lot for countries maybe doesn't work so well because I have to win every time that I pay a lot for them. But if I'm playing a one off tournament, maybe this doesn't work so well.
0: This episode was made possible by the generous support of people like you. For more information, visit patreon.com brotherboard. You can learn more from your board brother at brotherboard.com. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe, share, and review. Thanks to Loyalty Freak Music for the theme music, it feels good to be alive too.